Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. In this episode, we're spending time with Andrew Elio, and he's 22 years old. He just started our program like four weeks ago, and he's working through the program. And I want to do this because I want to understand why he's doing what he's doing at 22 years old, and what are, what's he doing every single day? How's he o- overcoming some of the time pressures of now he's, for four weeks ago, he also started a full-time job. How is he handling that? What are some of his limiting beliefs, false beliefs, because he's so young? What is that? And what progress is he making? What are maybe some blind spots that he doesn't even know he has? And this is really the focus of this episode is to get someone at the very, very beginning of the stage because you might also be in this very stage and you might be struggling with some of the same issues that Andrew is dealing with as well. So we're going to get into that in this episode. I think you're going to find it really interesting. I want to give a shout to Shirley Desai, who left us a review on Amazon for The Yellow Book. Uh, she says, this is a great book. Michael's book offered an in-depth analysis of how to get started buying apartment buildings. I strongly recommend this book. Thank you, Shirley, for that. If you have not read the book, check it out on Amazon. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate, just like this podcast as well. In fact, Andrew read that book literally like six weeks ago and decided to take our program to get him started in apartment buildings. So that book is oftentimes a great way to get into apartment buildings and understand kind of what's involved and to decide whether that's right for you as well. If we have some success story, I will shout it out. Uh, this week is Alex Escobar, and he is both a first deal maker, which is someone who does their first deal, and also a Freedom Hall of Famer. Freedom Hall of Famer are the ones who actually become financially free and quit their job, and that's cool. That's cool. He's both. His first deal was a 26 unit in Danville, Virginia, and it was $600,000. Nice little deal, and he raised $190,000, which is cool. He also is one of the asset managers as well. And this first second deal, this is the one that led him to quit his job, was a 64 unit across the street from his first deal. That was 2.4 million. And he raised a million dollars. He was part of the team that did that. And his freedom date was January 22nd, which was one week before closing on that second deal. And therefore you can see the power of that first deal. That's why I call it the law of the first deal, which is why financial freedom is actually really easy. All you got to do is get your first deal done. Because most people quit their job, either their first deal or their second deal, and it's because of these reasons. The big reason is because of the acquisition fees. So imagine this. If you were to work with with us in our mentoring program, for example, the average deal size is $4 million. Now, and and the reason is because you're working with full-time syndicators that own 2,000 units, right? So for them, a $4 million deal is small. They're going to say, hey, a $4 million deal is small. You can do this. And then we partner you up with other people. So you have, might have be a capital raiser or you might be a deal finder. We're going to talk about that in this episode, by the way. The differences between the two, they're very critical and it really, really catapults your investing. And so because there are people who have access to capital, their biggest problem is deals. And there's a, another 50% of the people who are access to deals. They, they just enjoy uh, talking with brokers, negotiating deals, analyzing numbers. Okay, those two are a match made in heaven. Because that capital raider between you and that capital raiser, you can most likely raise a million dollars. Now, it sounds impossible, but trust me, it's not. When you're in an ecosystem like, like we have, it's actually very routine. 
And so this is why, imagine doing a $4 million deal, two partners, okay? The acquisition fee on $4 million is $120,000. Now you gotta split that two ways, that's $60,000. Now let's say, let's say pick your favorite burn rate. Most people seem to be spending $10,000 a month. Okay, it's probably a little less than that, but let's say it's 10. Now you have six months of, you know, of runway. You know, if you have some savings, for example, you can easily have 10 to 12 months of runway. And this is why so many people are able to quit their job and focus on multifamily full time. And of course, now instead of spending 10 hours a week, we're spending 40 hours a week. Now you can see how you can scale a lot faster when you're able to be full time. Plus, you're working on your own terms, which is super cool. And this is really the secret why so many people are able to quit their job after their first deal. And also the pipeline. In this particular case, in his case here, in Alex's case, this is not uncommon, that second deal closes right on the tail end of that first deal because of the law of the first deal. This is why doing that first deal is so powerful. This is why if you're listening to this right now, if you want to become financially free with real estate, all you got to do is get your first deal done. Do whatever it takes to get that first deal done. That's it. Because that second and third deal will follow in rapid, almost automatic succession as the law of the first deal states. And you'll be financially free either at the first, second, or no later than the third deal as well. And that's why that first deal is so important. So really focus on that on that first deal. Again, check us out if you are looking to work with someone. We'd love to love to work with you on that. But let's get into into interview with Andrew Elio here because man, he's only 22 years old, just graduated from the University of Illinois at Urbana, and he studied engineering there. And he now he has a full time job because he's got to pay the bills. But he is knee deep into the process of learning about multifamily. And he's also now practicing some of these things he's learned as well. So it's really interesting to talk with Andrew. Let's get right into the interview. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm very happy to meet you. This is crazy. Yeah. Well, we want to know more about your journey. And normally we have people on the show that have done, you know, have been financially free. They've done a bunch of deals. And sometimes, you know, you kind of forget the stages you were in before and some of the the limiting beliefs you maybe have and things you were stuck, you know, and everybody is stuck at a, at a different level, right? You're always, there's always a different level. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to get someone's story who's just, you know, just started their journey a little bit. So give us a little background on yourself to kind of led you to where you are right now. So I just graduated college in May. I'm 22 years old. I've always been like involved in different investments throughout my life. I started trading stocks when I was just got out of middle school. So I was always into that. However, I understand the volatility of those types of investments. And I was looking for longer generational wealth and a little more like inflation responsive type of investment. Also something that I could do more daily because that's not, I'm not looking to be like a stock broker or a trader. So I started this journey and I read your book about two months ago. And I thought your book was incredible because like I read other books and a lot of them always ended with like, just, I had so many more questions than even sometimes I started off in. And yours kind of was more of a guide and it related more to like the average person trying to get into real estate, like the actual questions that I'd have. So I loved it. And then I met with some people on your team about your dealmaker certification process. And then after like a week of thinking about it and going through other programs, kind of comparing where I'd fit best, I went with it. And then I finished the training in about two weeks because I was like, I loved it throughout the summer. And that's all I did. Three weeks, finished the training, binge watch those. Or wait, no, it was like two weeks because it was fast watching. And then started the certification process. And in that process, I'm right around starting to contact brokers. I started analyzing deals right through the training. So like the analyzing five deals, kind of like I've been doing throughout the whole time. 
And I don't think I'm going to get perfect at that and for a long time, but I'm just going through it and like looking at different places, looking at different types of like deals and just trying to get more educated because that's my biggest like hurdle right now is just further education because I hear so many different things all the time that I'm like trying to like put these vocab words to use and whatever the case may be. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then I want a general insight. I'm like, I mean, I'm 22 I'm in this space. I just started a full-time job. Like my job just started two weeks ago. So like I'm in this like area of life that's like, I, I know that this is what I want to do long-term. So I wanted to start it even before I even started my long, my full-time job so that I never had the excuse that I didn't start this journey. So yeah, now I'm at this stage right now where I'm doing the certification process. I'm trying to analyze deals. I'm looking at different like market trackers and I'm just trying to get a glimpse of like the overall economy and market, trying to get a little smarter with it. But at the same time, I understand, and I'm starting to go to networking events. I'm going to my first one next week in Chicago. That's where I'm from. I don't know if I said that. And then, yeah. And then another hurdle is I'm just a little like weary or maybe not nervous, but anxious on how I can start getting in touch with brokers, property managers, property uh, managers, just other network people, people like-minded like me. Because at my age, I, there's hardly anyone my age that I talk to immediately that wants this journey with me. So I feel a little more alone crazy i don't know so yeah that's pretty that's pretty cool all right there's a lot of things you said here andrew so we'll, we'll see if we can unpack some of them just for, if, if you're not familiar with our, our process we have something called dealmaker certification which has kind of two parts and you mentioned them as a learning process about every part of the syndication process all the way from finding your market to deals analyzing deals raising money getting the loan managing it exiting all those things and then there's a certification process which is more like practicing and this is where we have we require you to you know, uh, analyze a certain amount of deals, talk to investors, talk to brokers, and put your team in place, your property managing lender. So, Andrew, it sounds like you're kind of right in the middle of that, which is great. I find that a lot of people buy a course and then they never apply any of it, which is why we added a certification piece to it, you know? And not everyone's going to do it either, but now it's there, right? So if you want to move forward and you want to be, quote, certified, you have to do those things. And, and, and so I don't know if you find that useful, the practicing. Uh, can you talk about how important practices to help you apply to what you've learned the practice so far has helped me because of like exactly what your book said and what you said it's confidence like i didn't know so many terms i didn't know how things link together so the practice not only like helping me analyze deal betters and start getting a grasp of what different numbers can do to purchase prices and your cash on cash just like the, the relationship but like it's setting me up for when i have to start talking to these brokers and property managers like I, i'm not going to sound like like lost. So it's helping me in new ways. I think the, that's the most beneficial part right now is analyzing the deals. Yeah, confidence. And I think you yeah. you said it. I think I think when you learn something, you obviously as a result, you have knowledge, but yeah. it doesn't give you confidence. So when you open up your mouth, you're like, oh, I'm not really not sure yet. But when you speak to brokers more repeatedly, or even if you have no, this is why we start analyzing deals, because when you start becoming more confident with the numbers, it now gives you more confidence in talking with brokers. What you'll find exactly. is after a while, you'll be more knowledgeable at the numbers on the average broker, right? And that gives you a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. So that's why we do it. So I'm glad you're following that process on your own. You're kind of, now who's holding you accountable? Are you just a very disciplined person, Andrew? You just get up every day and you're like, I'm going to crush it today. Or like, how are you keeping yourself on track with the process? No one's really holding me accountable. I, there's really no one. I, I made this investment myself and I started it and it's purely out of, I don't want to work for someone and I want to have generational. It's, it's, it's just pure motivation of me, like a full-time job to me. I always worked in like a traditional setting 
my family owns businesses. So I always worked in a setting where it's kind of like that. So when I got into a full-time job after college, I was like, this, it wasn't, it didn't sit right. Plus it's just, I love the real estate business. I think it's a genius. I think it's got the, it's been around for centuries for a reason and it's going to be around for centuries and a reason. So, and I just think it's the easiest way, not the easiest way, but it's the most efficient, maybe easiest after like you learn about it. Like it's hard in the beginning, but it only gets easier the older I get. So the younger I start, faster I'll get there and the quicker I can make more time for my family when I'm older, create generational wealth versus just being, you know, short-term rich. Well, you have a lot of maturity for being 22 years old. A lot of people ha are, have, have worked 20 years in their life before they realize the insanity of working another 20, you know, and that's when exactly. they come to us. We're like, ah, I can't, I don't want to do another 20 years. <laughs> I need a way out. Now, what, what is it about you being 22 years old in college, getting started with this, with this journey? In other words, why is the alternative so unattractive to you? Because you look around yourself. I mean, everybody else is either, you know, going to maybe grad school or they're all getting a job, right? Meanwhile, you're like, I don't want a job. I don't want this route. So there's a lot of peer pressure around you to do something else. Yet somehow you're finding an alternate path. What gives you the confidence to do that? And why is that plan B so unattractive to you? Because it's attractive to everyone else. <laughs> I mean, you just want what no one else honest, wants. That's it. <laughs> it's just like it to me. It's pure logic. Like it's I don't understand why someone would be happy working at a job where they're so scared to mess up that if they mess up, they'll find someone like you the next day. There's no security in nine to five jobs, especially when you come out of college. I mean, they love you for the first year so that you could stay, but if you mess up in two years, you lose your job. You got to go find somewhere else. Like, of course, I'm going to find a job after college because I'm not going to sit with no income. I do need income. But the reason I started this journey before I ever started my full-time job was that not that I had the fear this would happen, but the like wasting time or pushing back on starting the journey because I was like, oh, I'm too busy with this job now. I'll start it in a month. Like, I'm new. I got to like be good. Now that I started this before, I'm tackling both the same time. And like, this is my alternative. Like, I'm still, I push meetings today so I can do this. This is more important because this is long term. Yeah, I love my that. job right now is short do, do you feel like your job is making your path to real estate, financial freedom more difficult? Are you struggling with the time and the pressure on you? Well, I did start only three weeks ago, so <laughs> I don't really know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm meeting great people. And so I think work is also a huge networking thing. Are there like people like me in, in the company I work at? Maybe, maybe not, but... I yeah, mean, it's I, an international company. So I, I love it. You, you do have a great opportunity right now because do you have a family right now? Yeah. Well, no, I, but my parents, I don't have like a kid. Or yeah, wife that's, or that's what I'm saying. I mean, like I said, most people want realize the insanity after they've worked a few years. And at that point, you know, they're typically in management positions. They have more responsibility. They have families, they have a house. So the pressure on both time and resources is much greater at that age. And so you have the ability now to, to kind of set your life up you know, in a, in a safer environment. Having said that, you're still going to have, you know, now you have a full-time job and you probably have hobbies and friends you want to do stuff with. And there's going to be conflict between, you know, your, how you're going to spend every single hour. Like, what do you, what do you do to kind of protect your time? Are there any disciplines that you've put in place so you can, you know, focus on the things that matter to you? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Let's say you just, I just have a typical work day. I get up nine, come home at five. And after that, it's at least an hour for just fitness. Cause I just have always been an athlete fitness. And after that I'll dive into 
real estate stuff. Two hours, I don't exhaust myself for four and force information into me because it's not effective. I'll either, you know, watch a YouTube video, continue doing the certification process. Sometimes, like, I'll get a little tired doing one thing or the other. So I'll do the certification process, you know, today after after work, do it for an hour or two, analyze one or two deals. Like, okay, you know what? I learned something today. Tomorrow, maybe it's a different type of day. Just in my spare time on the train, I'll watch a video that I saw on YouTube or just someone speak about it on Instagram. It doesn't always have to be through, like, the same certification process. I just continually take knowledge and listen to it so much that, like, it's become just like listen, someone listening to music. So that, and then it just, it, it got easy. Like it just built the evidence there. Done. I don't know. So you're doing a little something every single day and you do it long enough mm -hmm. and it becomes a habit like listening to music. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. That's, that's the whole point of building habits. It becomes effortless and automatic and maybe even a little enjoyable. It doesn't have to be necessarily, but, but at least uh, automatic. Now you said something a little earlier, uh, Andrew, that where you talked about, man, you kind of feel a little lonely, right? Cause you're, you're 22 yeah. years old and and you might think it's because of your age, but the truth is it's not because of your age at all. It's simply because you want to do something that no one else around you does, right? Not your friends, not your family, not your coworkers, like no one. And and the thing is, you know, they kind of think you're kind of crazy. And the problem yeah, is yeah. if you're sitting there stewing your own, you know, juices for a little while, then you might start to think that you are in fact crazy. And so, so the question is, what are you doing about that, right? Because you, you can't be there by yourself because you will literally go crazy a little bit. You have to be in some kind of community of like-minded people. So what have you done or what are you going to do to kind of fix that? Yeah, that, that little cycle kind of hit me about a week and a half ago. And I was like, wow, like this is going to be a lot harder than I think making a network, especially when everyone in my network's probably going to be older than me or like not at the same drive. They're going to have more risk. They're going to have a higher tolerance for risk. And I thought about that. So I was like, all right, one, I'm going to start going to meetups. And I asked in the DMM or the mastermind, sorry for viewers, but you know, how, what are people, what are the easiest ways people find meetups? What are some free ones? You know, just, just get my feet a little wet. So I'm going to the first Windy City meetup in Chicago nice. next week or 21st. And I'm just going to, I mean, I find myself like, I don't, I'm outgoing. I'm just going to meet people. And I think that I, that's how I've always gone with life. I started this. I answered this part or the the post. Now I'm here. Like, I just just keep moving forward. I I, I don't know how to say, like, I how to keep myself not going crazy with it. It's more of just, like, knowing this is where my heart is. You know, like, I think I'm correct and that I'm going to just keep moving forward in terms of meeting people and, like, stay the course. It's going to it's going to work out. So you may already know this, but financial freedom is my obsession. I spent years testing out different ventures in my pursuit of financial freedom. I've done day trading, owned restaurants, flipped houses, done software. But eventually, I discovered multifamily real estate syndication. And it's really the only proven way to become financially free with real estate. After doing my first syndication deal in 2011, I was hooked. I started buying bigger and bigger apartment complexes, raising more money. And we now own over $350 million in assets. And I want to help you do the same. We teach people from all walks of life how to achieve financial freedom with multifamily real estates. And our students have acquired over $1.5 in apartment assets so far. Complete beginners have done their first deal and quit their job, typically within 12 months of working with us, some as early as six months. We've helped experienced syndicators who have done a few deals scale their portfolio to 1,000 units or $10 million raised while working less. Now, if you're looking to do your first syndication deal or you've already done a few and you're looking to scale, but maybe you're struggling to get to the next level, let's talk. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call 
and book a free strategy session with one of our advisors. So what we're going to do in that call is we're going to talk about your goals, where you are now, and put together a custom plan to help you get to that next level, whether it's your first deal or a thousand units. And here's the thing, if we decide to work together, then great. Otherwise, you're going to gain an incredible clarity from talking to one of our advisors during that call. Either way, you win and there's no obligation. So go ahead and book that call right now. Go to themichaelblank.com and book that free strategy session because here's the thing. I really want to imagine how your life will change when you achieve that next level of where you want to be. It's financial freedom, quitting your job for the first time or building generational wealth with you know, 1,000 units or $10 million raised, whatever that is in the realm of real estate and apartment buildings, we want to help you get there. We can help you make that reality for you and your family. So go ahead and book that call, themichaelblank.com forward slash call. Talk to you soon. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think meetups is great because you get together in person. What about, what about virtually? What do you think you can do virtually? Can you network virtually somehow? You mentioned the DealMaker Mastermind. What, what is that and, and, and how can you use things like it in a similar way? Yeah, the Mastermind is a large community of people like-minded. So it's, it's a great platform that was created by you and your team. And I like it because I, I get a lot of notifications a day of someone having a new opportunity and, and or, you know, like someone that close on a deal. So I haven't, I need to do a little better on utilizing the mastermind. I will admit I haven't posted since just my inter- introduction. I read what people post, sometimes it's not applicable to me, but it's cool just to see what people are, are up to. I've done a little of the SDA workshops through them, but I haven't networked on them necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I need to probably work my way around that community a little better considering like it's built for that. So yeah, I, I think so too because it's it's a specific community around multifamily specifically. I think one right. of the challenges you'll find with meetups is that there's 95% are doing something else. They're flipping, <laughs> burn, you know, landlording, you know, buying land and notes and that kind of stuff. And it's going to be very few people that are going to be doing multifamily. There are going to be some, so you should definitely definitely network with that. But definitely leverage these online communities that you're already in. Ours is a great place to to connect. So really figure out a way to connect, become more active in the community, maybe contribute because you now, you know how to analyze deals. You have something to contribute. You know, you've talked to brokers, share your conversation with a broker. You know, it was an awful conversation. Here's what I learned. Like stuff like that is really valuable to people. And then, and then schedule, set up meetings with people. I mean, you can, you can be, honestly, I, I remember interviewing a couple lived in the, in London, they're Americans. And they literally did a series of deals in the States by doing exactly, this was during COVID even. And they would just set up calls. Anyone they would meet online, they would go, hey, you want to do a Zoom call? No particular reason, no rhyme or agenda, just, hey, you want to connect? And they just schedule like one a day, one a day, you know? And that's how they found their entire team. Just by, and then some are like, oh, that's cool. But others that they really hit it. And they really connected yeah, with people. And so maybe consider mining the, you know, the mastermind in that way and that's maybe one thing you can try. That is a good idea. Yeah, because there needs to be something that levels levels me up, get to the net yeah. level, next level. You know? I, know so I could have all this info and never buy and it. When you have those conversations, the other thing you can do is then organize your own little mini mastermind. So this is like your, imagine like a small group that mm-hmm. meets every couple of weeks, right? So imagine you with five, six other people and you all are committed to checking in with each other for accountability and support. You know, we do this in our mentoring program. We put our mentoring students in these things and people freaking love it. I'm in, I'm yeah. in two of those myself. And yes, we get together in, in person as well, but it's really that small group envi- environment that's so valuable. So that's another thing that you can, you can consider doing. Uh, but I think community is, is very important. Uh, and you, and you, you know, you, you kind of just have our, our online course, obviously. So you have to work on it a little harder 
but you're still connected to the DealMaker Mastermind, the online community. So leverage that as well. What are some other things that you're struggling with right now we can maybe help you with? Another thing I'm just, well, one, it's mostly just like the starting the network thing. And that's just including also talking to brokers and property managers. Like I don't, like I said, I'm going through that part in the certification. So I got to refresh like, okay, like, is this the correct way to go about it? That's kind of where my hurdle's at. And then my another hurdle's at more of like, I am trying to look into the future and like, I can kind of only, how do I say this? Like go in an area outside of the Chicagoland area. I can fly in everywhere, but I don't have a car to go super far. So like, I'm kind of limited on where I can go, but at the same time, I'm at this, I'm at a place where I'm figuring that out and that's neglecting the real estate. So there's like hurdles I could see approaching. Um, and then my only other fears, I just have like a fear of not getting where I want to be within, you know, the year, within a year from now, let's say. And so I want to know just from your perspective, like I, it's that that's why this call was so important to me. It's not because I have a specific hurdle that has a specific answer. It's more of like, if you were in my shoes, what's one thing you could have told yourself to like level up at my stage? And other than, you know, uh, networking in the mastermind community, is there something else? If there's not, then okay. But if, well, so a couple things come to mind. Number one, consistency is key. And you're already doing a little bit every day. So I, I feel like you've got that licked. A lot of people are very inconsistent. They might fall off for weeks, months, and some fall off permanently. Doing a little bit every single day will keep you on track. So you already have the, the habit built to do something every single day, which is absolutely important. So don't, don't lose that. The second one is a commitment to the activities. So, you know, Hal Elrod has a book called The Miracle Equation. It redefines the way that goal setting is defined, at least from my mind. Normally, goals are very specific. You know, they have deadlines, blah, blah, blah. They're written in the present tense. Okay, I get all that. But Hal Elrod argues that instead of committing to a deadline, okay, commit instead to the activities that ultimately lead to the deadline. So your one-year goal, this is what triggered that. It's like, well, you feel like you need to get to a certain place in one year. Maybe you might say, my gosh, I should surely have my first deal done in one year. Now, let's imagine that a year comes and goes and you don't have a first deal yet. Now, what happens? Now, 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 it could happen that you're now discouraged or angry and you might decide to walk away from the whole damn thing because obviously it's maybe working for others, but not working for you. And it's really only because you self-imposed an arbitrary deadline. So instead of doing that, simply commit to the activities that lead to your desired outcome, right? So if you want to find a deal, what's the activity or activities that you should commit to? every single week. What is that? Analyzing deals, calling brokers, calling property managers, building a team. Basically Perfect. Building a Perfect. Team now, if you want to raise capital, what are the activities you should commit to there? Talking to friends and family, understanding how much capital is needed, what type of capital I need, planning that out. Just also talking to different investors. So. Perfect. Yeah. It's talking to potential investors, right? So at one point it gets pretty simple. You're analyzing deals. And every time when I say analyze deal, I'm almost making an offer. You know, it could be via email, verbal, informal, right? And then number two is talking to investors. That, that's it, right? And if you, if you continue doing that, you will eventually find a deal and you'll eventually raise money as well. There's a third activity, which is, net, which is finding a partner, a potential partner. And let's, let's talk about it. There's really two major roles in, in a small, in an early syndication. One, there's typically two partners in a syndication. One is more the deal finder and one is more the capital raiser. Which of the two do you gravitate more towards? I'm not sure. I think I would be okay doing both. Yep. Okay. Because I have a good network for capital raising. Okay. That's something that I think 
like I have less stress over. Okay. I, I think I could do good about both. Well, that's cool. I'm a little bit like you. I, I, I'm a little bit of a generalist. I can feel I can, I can do both. Nevertheless, I, I want you to think about partnering with somebody. So let's say you're getting deal flow, you'll get over the, you know, the hump of calling brokers, or maybe you, you, you won't. Maybe that numbers are so, you're like hate numbers so badly that just the idea of analyzing deals makes you want to throw up, okay? And you'd rather work investors. Now you're more of a capital raiser, okay? On the other hand, if you're not much of a relationship guy and you're really more of a numbers guy, you're, you're more detail-oriented, more, you might gravitate more to the deal finding. And then you could be the rare bird that can do a little bit of both, like kind of like, like what I am. However, having said that, that doesn't mean you should do everything yourself, right? Because there's only so many hours in a day. I mean, you could say you could probably spend 10 hours a week just analyzing deals and making offers. And then you can spend just 10 hours a, a week talking to investors and raising money. Now it's 20 hours. You don't actually have 20 hours. You have maybe 10 hours total. So you can do five and five. Now, if you pursue both activities at once, you'll eventually get there. It'll just take longer. But if you were to focus on only one of those two activities and take your entire 10 hours on one of those two activities, it will, it will obviously, they will have results sooner rather than splitting your time. So it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of practicality. At that point, you got to ask yourself a question. What do you enjoy most? What are you better at doing? And you focus on that one activity, and then maybe you partner for the second. Even if you could do both, Andrew, right? Let's say you can find deal and you raise money, which you should. You should always raise money, whether it's 100,000, 200,000. You should always raise money. But regardless of how much money you can raise, to a, especially in the early on, there's going to be to limit of how much you can raise. Now, like if you were working with us, you know, with our mentoring program, for example, the average deal size is $4 million, the first one, which probably sounds big to you. I mean, it does, that sounds big to me, but it's because of this thing. It's because of this, this partnering aspect of it. So let's say you're a deal finder. Okay. Let's, let's say you're more of a deal finder and you focus your, or you decide to focus your time on deal finding. So you're talking to brokers, analyzing deals, you're building relationships. Okay. And now you're getting deal flow. You have your counterpart who's a capital raiser. Who again has no interest in analyzing deals because it requires numbers, blech. and therefore they don't want to talk to brokers because it requires talking about numbers, which they don't like. They'd rather talk to their investors. And there are people who just have the gift of gab and relationships and networking, and they can easily raise a million dollars. Like that's easy for them. Now, if I can raise a million dollars, I can buy a four million dollar deal. So it's it's really that simple. And people with access to capital have the opposite problem. They don't have deal flow, so they need deal finders. Uh, they also don't, they're not as detail-oriented, so they can't really handle the due diligence process, which is de detail-oriented. And sometimes they don't really love some of the stuff on the back end, right? And so this is why those partnerships are so powerful. And so that's the one thing to consider is looking for a partner in the right way. Like I said, there's only two roles in the early syndication one. And you want to make sure that you choose the one that you want to focus on and find your counterpart. The roles have to be very clear, right? So they have to be, one of you is going to be focused on finding deals and one of you is focused on raising capital. That doesn't mean that the capital raiser shouldn't know how to underwrite deals because they need to know the numbers to explain it to investors. They should also know due diligence because they have to explain it to the investors, right? So it's not like they're completely ignorant and you as a deal finder should also know how to raise capital, right? So there's overlap, but the accountability is only one person in the partnership. Okay, that makes sense. I can see how that can be a lot more important too down the line too. Having a partner, at least, and in, in, it's more of also like the accountability with each other too. You trust them. And, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, Andrew, the thing that matters most is doing that first deal, right? If you bring in a partner, you can do bigger deals. But even if you 
think you can raise a couple hundred grand, well, then you buy a $500,000 building, 600, right? Whatever that is in Chicago, wherever that is. That's the most important thing is getting that first deal done because as you know, that changes everything, that first deal. So it doesn't really matter how big it is. I mean, there's certain things you can do. You can have a mentor and a partner and therefore your deals are going to be bigger. That's cool, super cool. And that's, it's more effective and efficient to get to your, your goals faster. But at the end of the day, doing your first deal is really what, what gets you in the, in the game. So definitely focus on that. I have a general question that I was always confused about in terms of buying a piece of property is like the best loan type you can have. I was always confused about. And then also, like, let's say I'm buying a $500,000 property and like you get X for the loan. Do you use some part of the loan for your earnest money deposit and for like, is the loan supposed to encapsulate everything? Or let's say you have $100,000 in the bank. Then what do you do with like, you loan the rest or do you raise capital for the rest? Like I always was confused about money in the bank, loan, raising money. And like, what's the best combination for yourself? All right. So you're, you're asking me a tactical, technical question. I will I will answer it, but I want to highlight something about, about the question. So let me answer the question first before I comment on, on the kind of question you asked. So so the loan, it typically covers, obviously, the real estate itself. And it can, depending on the title loan, can cover part of the construction, any rehab. It typically never covers any kind of fees you want to take, closing costs. It doesn't cover some of those, some of those things. So you have, or of course, the equity, right? So typically, you raise the equity piece to pay for yourself as well as some of the closing costs. That's kind of equity that you have to, you have to raise. In, in general, but that's a very specific question. And you only know that question because you've already kind of know in general about finance and commercial properties. And it's a, it's a very specific question sometimes and you're getting into kind of situational things. Like you get into situations, things where you're talking to a mortgage broker and they're telling you one thing and you're like, on it, does that make sense? Like, is that right? Is that good? I don't even know. This is why working with an advisor or an experienced person or a mentor is super valuable. And you can pay for those people, obviously, right? If you were in a mentoring program, you'd be working side by side, but it's you have to have the financial means to invest in someone like that. If you don't and you can't, then you have to hustle to find that person. So in your networking, you know, find that person that you can pick their brain to help answer those questions. And they'll take a certain amount of questions and they'll tell, hey, Andrew, back off. You're killing me with all this stuff. But it comes into, you're getting into the point now where you're getting into a live deal scenario where things are situational. I mean, every single deal is different you're not going to learn that stuff in a course and you have to have someone who's experienced to fall back on. So find that person, again, either work with us, if you can have the ability to do that, invest in yourself or see if you're networking, if you can find find those those people as, as well. Because that's not the last question that you're going to come up with on a, on a situational technical question. There's going to be uh, many of them. And so- that's that's I'm glad that I, that I asked that because I was trying to think about what really is the largest hurdle. And I forget that it, it really is not having a mentor or someone to ask these questions to, because then I'm stuck Googling. And once I get into Google, I'm hearing all sorts of things. And I'm like, whoa, I don't even know what's going on now. But yeah, yeah that probably now that I could say with, with the hurdles and things, it's it's finding a mentor and finding someone that will guide a little bit. So That's awesome. All right, Andrew, well, this is um, great. I think you're on the right track, man. I think fundamentally, the thing you're already doing is consistency. That's it right? Could you work more efficiently if you had a mentor? Yes. Could you work more efficiently if you had access to a larger network of capital? Yes. Okay. And maybe you'll do that. But but at the end of the day, even if you don't or you can't, 
you will still get to that level of success you want. It may take a little longer because the deals take uh, a little smaller. You might make a mistake here and there. But at the end of the thing, and this is difficult to teach, is consistency. And you're already doing that. So I would say, yes, keep doing that. That's the one thing you're already doing. And that is the key to success is consistency. So I appreciate you coming on here and sharing some of your experience with us, man. Yeah, I thank you too. I literally just read your book not even three months ago. And like the fact that I'm even here now on a Zoom with you is insane. So I... I loved your book and I love what you're doing for people. I love how you are not on a stage of the real estate business where it's just trying to sell everyone like a single story. Like, you know, some of the guru ones you talk about in your books, like that's the best part about your your community. So I thank you for that. I thank you for staying real and like helpful and actually trying to help people, not trying to make an extra buck for yourself while like not being involved in your mentors and everything like So thank you. This has been awesome. Even just meeting you, like even if you had just, this was just awesome overall. So so if you listen to Andrew right now and you're like, man, that's a lot of work. That sounds very complicated. You know what? I, I don't have that kind of time, but I have some money invest and I'm looking outside the stock market. You're looking for an alternative investment opportunity. We'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity. We're actually expanding our investment firm, Nighthawk Equity, beyond just multifamily we want to present you with different kinds of real estate opportunities with different risk profiles. So imagine a debt fund that only that pays, you know, eight, nine, 10% every single year, almost like an interest coupon. We're working on that. We'll have that available here as well. We'll continue having multifamily opportunity, but we also are looking into ground up development. We want to give you different things to look at and invest outside the stock market. So if that's interesting to you, check us out at nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button and uh, schedule a call with us. We'd love to present you with some upcoming opportunities. But a few things that Andrew that Andrew said that maybe was impactful to you as, as well as, as me, and that, what, that consistent theme is consistency. I think that's so critical to really take a little bit of action every single day. And that's what Andrew's doing right now. Now, he had some questions, okay? There's some technical questions he's got some answers to. He learned a lot in our, in our online course uh, those technical situation questions, he can only get answers from someone with a lot of experience. And, you know, he can uh, work with our mentors as well, but he can maybe network himself there. Either way, he's going to get it done. But the most important thing that I want you to remember is consistency. You got to figure out how to do that. We had another conversation with Sudhir like a, a week or two ago. And that also, what a trait he had, and he fell off the wagon. He was supposed to get through a 90-day certification process with us, and it took him like almost nine months because... He was not taking consistent action. He allowed life to kind of take over until he was fed up with it. And that's what he's doing right now. So if you're listening to this right now, the key really is consistency. Great book to read is Atomic Habits. And it really talks about doing small things every single day. And that's why I call taking tiny action. That's the one thing you want, you need to do for anything meaningful in life. You got to take tiny action. If it's working out, losing weight, you got to do something every single day, even if it's just putting on your shoes, your sneakers, or your shorts, okay? Now you're doing something every single day. And that's kind of what the, the lesson is that Andrew has here, is to do something every single day and build new habits. Remind yourself of why you're doing that to him. To him, his plan B is unacceptable. Having a full-time job for the rest of his life is unacceptable. And so the other lesson here that I want to relay to you is don't have an acceptable plan B. Make your plan B so unacceptable that it is, well, unacceptable, that you have to have plan A, you have to stay the course, you have to continue moving forward with your journey to financial freedom, real estate, and you're going to commit to that no matter what happens. Because if you do that long enough, you will get the outcome you're looking for. You'll get that first deal, 
you'll raise that capital and you'll become financially free. So let's get out there and let's do this. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.